welcome to the season two finale of the Jam Base podcast. I'm Andy Kahn, and joining me shortly will be my co-hosts, Scott Bernstein and Nate Todd, as we look back at past interviews with members of Widespread Panic, Mo, and Green Sky Bluegrass about the art of the set list. Before we get to that, let's hear about the sponsor of this episode. This episode is sponsored by Section 119. Section 119 is a clothing and apparel company that specializes in licensed merchandise for the Grateful Dead, Fish, and other bands. Products include shirts, hoodies, shorts, and accessories featuring distinctive logos and artwork. Section 119's mission is to provide fans with high-quality, stylish apparel that celebrates their favorite bands. Made by fans for fans. Shop officially licensed Grateful Dead and Fishman donut apparel, including button-downs, board shorts, ties, bow ties, pocket squares, ponchos, suits, and other gear. Section 119 also offers officially licensed merchandise for fans of Pink Floyd, The Beatles, Jerry Garcia, and David Bowie. Section 119 is constantly updating new offerings for men and women. Be sure to explore the brand new line of Grateful Dead women's wear. Visit Section 119 at section119.com. That's S-E-C-T-I-O-N-119.com. And sign up to receive 10% off your first purchase. All right, joining me now are Jam Bass editor, Scott Bernstein. Hey, Scotty. Hi, AK. Hey, man. And uh, also joining us is Nate Todd. What's up, Nate? Hey, hey, I'm doing good. Ready to dive in. Terrific. Well, um, I'm excited to have you guys here for the final episode of season two of the Jam Base podcast. We're going to be taking a couple of weeks off as we get ready for season three, which will include, if all things go to plan, getting some interviews with musicians at festivals. That's right. Definitely looking forward to continuing the trend from last season of getting conduct some of the interviews in person rather than over a Zoom call. We'll also have more episodes like our Phil Lesh and Friends retrospective, which took a look back at the landmark April 1999 run of shows with Fish's Trey Anastasio and Paige McConnell. That was the first time members of the Grateful Dead and Fish performed together in public. And look for new installments in our new Jerry Stories series about Grateful Dead guitarist Jerry Garcia that launched with bluegrass icon Peter Rowan sharing tales of performing together with Old and In The Way and much more. I'm thrilled to have launched Jerry Stories with Peter. As it's been said on here before, <clears throat> he's quite the tour. And if you haven't listened to that episode, place it next in your queue. Season two also featured an interview with a pair of legendary guitarists who separately spoke to Scotty. Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Nils Lofgren spoke about his work with Neil Young and Crazy Horse and touched on his role as a member of Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band. Scotty also chatted with David Bromberg, who was a fixture in the 1960s folk rock scene performing alongside Bob Dylan, The Grateful Dead, and many others. David also talked about his connection to Widespread Panic and his upcoming final New York City big band concert. It was a pleasure to get to chat with Nils and David, two guitarists with just incredible resumes built over their lengthy careers. Those are always fun interviews to be a part of and, of course, share with our listeners. We'll also be continuing to incorporate themes with our interviewers like in season two, when Scotty talked to John Medeski about the art of improvisation and AK talked to Eric D. Johnson of Fruit Bats about his worst show ever. Yes, both of those were fun interviews and insightful, albeit in pretty different ways. One of our most insightful interview themes is the art of the set list, when we get to pick musicians' brains and find out what goes into preparing a set list before each show. What I really like about the art of the set list is how it truly gives you a behind-the-scenes look at what goes into getting ready for a show. It's a ritualistic part of almost every band or solo artist's preparation, but rarely does it get the deep-dive treatment we like to do here on the podcast. Definitely. Talk about going behind the scenes. I even had one band, who shall remain nameless, 
not want to talk about the art of the set list for fear of giving away quote unquote trade secrets. Which is why we're so grateful to have previously discussed setlist writing with so many other willing participants, including Dave Schools of Widespread Panic, Chuck Garvey of Mo, and Paul Hoffman and Anders Beck of Green Sky Bluegrass. I had a wonderful time interviewing Widespread Panic bassist Dave Schools. What I thought was particularly interesting was when Dave talked about the difference between how Panic writes a setlist compared to the approach of the Grateful Dead. Let's hear Dave talk about the difference between Panic and the Dead when it comes to set listing from the March 2020 episode 58 of the podcast. Has the set list, uh, the way it's devised, changed over the course of your 30 plus year history? It absolutely has. And, and because I found out that this was the subject of our interview, I actually cast my memory back, which is getting dotty if I want to go <laughs> back 35 years. But we didn't know that many songs. At the beginning, we were learning how to be a band together, um, so we used set lists. And then once Todd Nance joined the band, and we started replacing a lot of the covers with originals, um, <clears throat> we kind of began enjoying not using a set list. And that was kind of cool because I would break strings, or just someone's instrument was falling to pieces, and we couldn't afford to buy new ones, so there were these breaks. And in those breaks, while I'm furiously trying to change a string or you know, JB's gluing his guitar back together. Hey, what if we played this and this and this? So we'd have a chance to talk about it, catch our breath. Um, so that happened for a while, but by the time, I think it was, I want to say Ain't Life Grand came out, Todd Nance was like, hey, you know, it's like, we're not talking about what we're going to play, and Dave's got a couple songs he can start, but only a couple. There's a few songs I start with a drum beat, but only a few. Um, and it seems like we're kind of our filter bubble is tightening because we're not like, we're forgetting about songs that maybe we start as a group. And we thought, and I remember JB going, if we go down this set list route, you know, it's, it's, a big, it's a big decision. It's a major change. And because at that time, people were under the impression that the Grateful Dead never used set lists. Right. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a big fan of the Grateful Dead, and one thing that the internet has given us is excellently recorded soundboard tapes, and if you listen, you can hear <laughs> Billy and Mickey talking about what Bob said we were going to play. Now, there might not be a piece of paper in 1979, but they had discussed that they were going to do Scarlet Fire, Estimated Eyes. Sure. So that's kind of a way of doing things, but JB was very, very adamant. He wasn't against making the decision. He just wanted all of us to know that if we chose to go that route, there was going to be a set of constraints that came with it, even though it was freeing, because it, it, it really freed us up to like not have to think in the moment. What do we play now? We're sitting around in front of 5,000 people talking about arguing sometimes. Sure. Like, I don't want to fucking play that. Yeah. You know, I don't have the right blah, blah, blah. Let's, let's play this. So then we could sort of program journeys. You know, we, we used arrows. You know, we picked out that. But we had other things. We have symbols. Okay. Um, what are some of the symbols? The symbols uh, that still are around to this day, uh, there's a lightning bolt, which basically means like a cold stop. Okay. Sharp left turn into the, the next song. Um, kind of one of those like, whoa, impressive. Didn't see that coming. Yeah. Um, and sometimes songs get grouped together that way. So 
what happens is you we used to do like a combination i think it was space wrangler and then a lightning bolt into the song walk it you know it's a it's a major five change which is like one of those whoa hey kind of changes and bam we're into the next song like someone just picked the needle up and put it down again sure um and then what happens is you do the combo enough people get used to it and then you switch it up <laughs> you do henry parsons instead of walking and it's a different kind of yay and people are like whoa i didn't see that coming at all so you kind of train people and then you dash their expectations which i think <laughs> is a fun game to play to people, I mean, it's like there's so it's so meta, yeah. With the jam band fans, especially the like hyper analytical set list keepers, sure, <laughs> the uh, everyday companions and yeah. extremes of the world. You know, they want to think about that. It's intriguing to them, and they enjoy it. And and what's to dislike about that? It's another facet of the experience. And that's super cool to hear how the Dead's legacy influences the jam scene still to this day. Agreed. And another band that was part of the early jam scene was Mo who also typically follows the two set lists plus an encore format when it comes to their shows and set lists. Scotty, you talked to Moe's guitarist Chuck Garvey about how the band puts together their set lists. When was that? Oh, it feels like a different era. I chatted with Chuck aboard Jam Cruise in January 2020. Now, to say a lot has happened since then would be a serious understatement. Of course, soon after we spoke, the COVID-19 pandemic shut down touring, and like most other musicians, Mo was not writing very many set lists. Chuck also suffered a stroke in November 2021. While it was a long road to recovery, we're happy to report that after taking some time off, he has fully rejoined his bandmates and could be seen on tour with Mo throughout the coming year. Yeah, I'm excited to get to see Mo and Chuck for the first time since his stroke at summer camp over Memorial Day weekend. And I can't wait to raise a glass and cheers his return during a happy hour hero. That should be quite the special weekend for y'all. When Chuck talks to Scotty about the art of the set list, they dug into how Mo incorporates new songs into their set list, calling audibles on stage, the ever-changing length of the band songs, and what we'll hear Chuck talk about now, Mo's nightly set list meetings. We're now on day three of the trip. Yesterday yeah. was the first full day, and you guys played your first set. You were in the theater. Yep. And uh, as this is the art of the set list, uh, could we start by talking about how you guys formulated the set list for last night? We do, um, uh, we go round robin or whatever you want to call it. We just, we all take turns. Except uh, Jim right now is not doing it, but uh, Vinny, Al, Rob, and myself just go uh, run through us on a on a show-to-show -show basis and... Uh, one person will do the whole set, we'll get together for a sound check and maybe go over a couple of things like a strange segue or it's like okay. something that's more particular to that show or, or something unique to that show that we wouldn't necessarily be able to just improvise. Um, so, and kind of just talk about what we're gonna do and how a couple of things are gonna flow. And that's pretty much it um, for, for the day. Uh, Do those conversations take place at Soundcheck? At Soundcheck, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and yeah, and, uh, um, you know, sometimes one person will have a recommendation or, or a request or something like that, and we'll, we'll try and fit that in. But it's, it's generally one person writing the set. Um, like, like we talked about before, for, for the bigger shows like New Year's or Halloween, it'll, 
fall on the one person who's uh, got luck of the draw for it. But, uh-huh. but we all we all do it a little bit by committee, depending on what's happening and how we want to put everything together. Sure. That those are just a little more labor intensive, and we usually all kind of weigh in on that. And got it, those songs to practice ahead of time. I mean, if yeah. you're doing a Star Wars night and exactly. you're doing all those songs, you're not that day. Right, uh, that kind of stuff. Well, sometimes we'll pre-produce, we'll make a set list or come up with, you know, yeah, those covers and, and re- maybe rehearse for a couple of days before, like the Star Wars Halloween show. We had a bunch of strange music that sure. we were doing. So. The cantina. Uh, uh, yeah, song. stuff like that, exactly. <laughs> and uh, again, using last night as the example, who was in charge of the set list? Rob did the set last night. Okay. Uh, and actually, we, we did a sound check in the theater, but we, we only went over two or three songs that were on the set list just to get the sound kind of dialed in. Um, and then, uh, but we didn't, we didn't do any other, like, uh, rehearsing or talking. Yeah, yeah, or... yeah. We just didn't have time for it. So right. it's, it was kind of short. So. And it's interesting. I mean, coming on to Jam Cruise and having two sets, having such a huge repertoire and no shows kind of right before, uh, it's like everything's on the table. You guys have so many songs. At Sometimes, this point. yeah. It's uh, where do you even start? <laughs> um, <ugh. laughs> like, it's I mean, like if it, it's your turn to write a set list, then it's the beginning of a run. You where know where do you start? Everybody has a different method. Probably they. Some of us just probably pick the first song and it flows from there. I tend to pick a couple of key songs that I really want to put in the set to start or close sets or I come up with a couple of uh, segues that I want to do and those are the anchors for a set and then, okay. build, and then you build it around that we all do it a little bit differently I think but it's it's pretty much that we have a, a master set list and and we keep track of the, the last five sh- four or five shows that we've done so we don't repeat anything and uh, and is that a written thing or a doc a word uh, Google Doc or something? It's like a Google that. Doc. Okay, very cool. <laughs> I would say the morons, I'm sure, would die to see something like that. I prefer to work on paper, but the Google Doc is very sure. convenient. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, it's and it's yeah. We just try and we try not to repeat anything, and and then we don't. Um, it's not we don't do like stats or anything. It's not that crazy. Sometimes we'll go back and say, okay, the last time we were on Jam Cruise, we played these okay. songs. But it was that was three for this. It's three years ago, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, it, it, we're kind of blank slate for for a set for here. But but if you're coming um, to Seattle for the first time in a year, you'll typically look at right. The, uh, what did we do for New Year's last year? What did we do in Halloween? You know, we try not to uh, repeat a bunch of that stuff. Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> you can also hear Chuck tell tour stories about life on the road with Mo on episode 63 of the Jam Base podcast. If you want to know how Green Sky Bluegrass comes up with their set list before a show, listen to the interview Andy did with Paul Hoffman and Anders Beck at the High Sierra Music Festival. AK, what stands out about the art of the set list chat with the guys from Green Sky? Well, I always remember ending the interview by talking about their at the time recent tributes to Jeff Austin. It got a little heavy. Austin had just died by suicide. But hearing them talk about playing his songs and wanting to honor the co-founder of Yonder Mountain String Band truly solidified how important Jeff was to the Jamgrass community. 
But before we talked about Jeff, both Paul and Anders told me about how Green Sky preps their set lists. Those two, along with guitarist Dave Bruza, are the ones in the band that are in charge of writing the set list, which we'll hear them explain can be less art of and more battle of the set list. So let's start with what's just the basic process for how Green Sky Bluegrass comes up with a set list before going out on stage. Sometimes it feels more like the battle of the set list than the art of the set list. Okay. This but is true. In a very uh, diplomatic way, there are three of us that write the set so that we can uh, not have a tie on okay. opinions. So <laughs> yeah, right. And so that no one can ever possibly. <laughs> uh, so we do it, the three of us, Dave, myself, and Anders do it. Um, okay. That's Dave Bruzza, the... Dave Bruzza, the guitar Bruzza, player. Sorry, yep. the guitar player. Um, we usually do it via text, even if we're sitting in the same room, so we can all see it. So we have a thread that's all the set list for probably a couple of years now. Oh. We named it after the bar we used to hang out at in Denver called the One Up. Yep. Cool. And there's a little ghost, so there's emoji. A ghost emoji. There's a ghost emoji. <laughs> one Up ghost emoji is the name of the thread. It's good. Hopefully nice. people aren't going to like hack nice. this. I bet you that's pretty cool to see. <laughs> I've never looked. So, yeah, so, so, <laughs> scroll back. It, no, through. actually, yeah. uh, it's a pain in the ass to see for me. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I know what you're saying. I bet it is. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. so yeah, and sometimes it can be pretty challenging. Uh, we try, you know, we try to subscribe to this theory of every show is different and playing stuff right uh, in I, different orders or different things in different the same cities we played in last time. So there's, there's often we're checking on like, what did we play last time? We played High Sierra, or last time we were in California. And, Okay. What did we play last weekend? Or, you know, yeah. if, it was, if we were playing on tour and we were playing five shows a week, what did we play last night? We subscribe. To, so the, there's kind of this a basic model like that where it's like uh, essentially subscribing to the jam band method for what it's worth. <laughs> right, right. Uh, you can't play anything you played la the last two nights. Okay. Uh, you can't play anything you played in that city. The last sure. time you're in that city. Well, some things you can. I mean, but you know, overall. Right, right. See, there's these rules. That's why. Is this there. an art or like a battle? There or like you go. a. Uh, it's a game of chess. That's the art of it, It's right? a formula. <laughs> yeah. It's a formula, but the f it's a formula for interest to be interesting. You know, it's a formula for fans. <laughs> so take me through. Let's let's go through today. You're going to play the headlining set tonight. What? So you, have you started this text exchange yet for today? I have submitted an entire set list, which is yet to oh. be commented on by either party. Oh, wow. I got a lot of rest last night, and I am on. To, I'm focused. So today. if there's no comments, does that just mean you win? No, we'll there's, oh, there's, oh, there's going to be comments. There's oh, going to be comments. Happen, happen, yeah. Or if the other guys don't feel like doing it, they'll just be like, yep, that's good. Not yeah. having to do it sometimes is a great Yeah. So what, what are like some I've of never. The, sometimes I'll write an entire set and send it to them. I mean, I've never had the experience of everybody just never commenting. That's amazing. wonder what that feels like, Paul. Oh, it feels great, man. Huh, I would never know, Paul. <laughs> that being said, um, yeah. it's it's almost like a system of checks and balances. You know, like, I'll write a set that's too something. You know, like, well, tell me something. What is something? Uh, uh, like? Too... Too jammy, and but anybody could do this. I'm not saying me. Yeah, no, right, totally. uh, I'm curious. You know, like, what are the conditions of a set list that you try to <laughs> maneuver? We try around? to keep certain songs away from each other that can be kind of similar, or like we have two singers, so we balance the singing sure. in a way that's appropriate. And you know, there's like songs that have certain effects or something that happens, like certain sonic events that could be kind of similar, so we keep those away or do those different nights. Yeah. We also have people in the band that play with capos. 
who take forever to tune on banjo. <laughs> so we... People <laughs> on banjo? <laughs> it could be anybody. They'll never listen to this. <laughs> hey, Bont. Hey, hey Bont. Can you hear me? Hey, Bont. Tune up. Are you ready to go? Uh, no, but really. <laughs> uh, He'll never listen. So sometimes that'll... <laughs> Sometimes that'll Throw mean all under the he's, he's gonna see the art of the cells and be like, oh, I'm not. Some, no, no. Sometimes it'll mean that for that reason, for capo position or tuning, uh, that certain songs go well next to each other. Okay. So, yeah. if someone was really trying to nerd out on like, notice that we have trends, like we definitely do because you, there you, are you, logistical things right, that, make, more, that yeah. make "Can't Stop Now" and "In Control" go well together. Ah, yeah, definitely. definitely. So, so that's sort of a play on words there. "In Control," "Can't Stop Now." Yeah. Yeah. I see, see what that. I did? See that? I mean, it's I, meta. I, you know, I heard it. But you it heard it. It wasn't that. <laughs> the Art of the Setlist is just one of our many interview themes. Another one of my favorites is the always interesting tour stories. We've heard some pretty wild tales from the road over the years. You know, one of the tour stories that's always stuck out with me was told by another member of Widespread Panic, drummer Dwayne Trucks. I've always been fascinated with Colonel Bruce Hampton's apparent psychic abilities. And Dwayne told us a perfect example of the Colonel's mind tricks. Uh, one of your mentors was Colonel Bruce Hampton. And as this is tour stories, I'm hoping you could share a good uh, story about the Colonel. <laughs> Man, there's too many to even start with the Colonel. Just un like small little moments to where his like psychic abilities would just come blasting through. You know, it was, it was a... There was one good one I remember. You know, he didn't allow music in the van usually. It was he liked it quiet in the van, okay. and and I I usually had the uh, the uh, responsibility to drive. He would always say he's like I don't hire drummers, I hire drivers. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was I was the designated driver always, and uh, and you know it was maybe like a five six hour drive that day, and Kevin and Nick were in the back sleeping. And Bruce, I see him over there kind of nodding in and out. And we passed this road sign. And the woman on the road sign, unlike the big billboard, looked like my third grade teacher. And uh, just driving along, totally silent. And I hear kind of Bruce, like, adjusting his seat. And he just goes, Trucks, you're thinking about your third grade teacher. No. And I just, way. like, about slammed the brakes and was just like, what made you say that? Like, no one has said a word for at least an hour. Like, there's no reason. I'd, and I, so I asked him, I'm like, why, why did you say that? What, what made you say that? And he was like, it was just floating above your head. I just saw it over there. And so that one, that one leveled me. And that was always one that I, whenever people are like, was, was it just snake oil with Bruce? Or do you feel like you really had, like, was it just parlor tricks? And I was like, look, he was absolutely had a thousand parlor tricks and he loved to freak people out with the fake thumb trick and guessing your birthday and all that stuff and like some of it is parlor tricks but that being said i always felt like bruce actually had some very serious psychic energy and could pull things out of thin air like that and that to me was the best personal first-hand example of something that i was like there's no way he could have known that right. like that's not a guess that's not a coincidence like how does he know that i never think about my third grade teacher yeah. you know it's, and that's uh, so that's a solid one but i gotta say if i if, if there's one that to me just really sums up bruce um the nick johnson who was the guitar player in the band at the time um 
they went to Guitar Center together. Bruce loved these modeling amps, which to any guitar player, they know that like modeling amps are kind of like, you know, what you get when you're 10, 12, 13, 14, you know, you know when you're young and it's, yeah, and it's just something that's got a ton of effects and a ton, just a ton of stuff on it where, you know, most guitar players like a real old amp that's just tubes and speakers and nothing else. And this thing has just got all these little toys and stuff on it. And he's like, there's a cheap pedal at Guitar Center. It controls the, controls the amp. I'm, I'm going to go get it. So Nick and Bruce go to get it, and they come back, and Bruce is just with his maniacal laughter, just like, <laughs> tell him, Nick, tell him. And Nick pulls out the receipt, and somehow someone had mislabeled this pedal and sold it to Bruce for $0.09, cents, like a $200 pedal. And we got it used, and the guy rings it up, and it comes up $0.09. Cents. And Bruce is just like... Show him the receipt. So he shows us, and we're like, "Did that really happen? Like, is Bruce is Bruce like right. pulling sure. one on us?" And and Nick was like, "I watched the whole thing go down." He handed him. Bruce was like, "I gave him a quarter. Told him to keep the change." <laughs> Starts. He's just dying laughing. So we pack the van. We're playing in Dothan, Alabama, Kevin Scott's hometown. We get down there, and uh, you know, we're we're trying to figure how how this thing works, and. Can't remember if we had like smartphones at this time. This was probably maybe 2009, 2010, something like that. And uh, and either way, we we figure out how to work this this pedal, and so he could have his. You know, he had his couple of tones that he liked. He liked his clean tone. He liked his his distorted tone, and then he liked his vomit tone, as he <laughs> called it. And you know, so it was just like an octave and like this weird flanger and all these weird effects that and he loved it so much and he just be, trucks dial it up you're my guitar tech dial it up and so we figured out and we figured out how to set it on this little pedal but what he doesn't realize is a couple of the buttons if you hold them if you hold them down if you leave your foot on it it becomes a loop it becomes a looper and so it would like loop whatever he's playing and so he doesn't realize it and we're in the middle of a song oh, i wish i could remember what song it was but uh, we're playing, and he leaves his foot on, doesn't pay any attention, and starts to take the solo. And he takes it, and then gets his foot off, like takes his foot off the thing, and it just starts playing his solo back to him. And he looks over at Nick, the guitar player, and just starts laughing, thinking that Nick is like mimicking. making fun of him or or mimicking mimicking Bruce, and which he did a lot. And all, I think all guitar players that played with Bruce would do that to a certain extent. Jimmy every night on stage with panic we'll play at least one or two bruce things and just kind of we'll all just like look at each other and laugh because bruce was not a guitar player right. but bruce was the greatest guitar player any of us have ever known like he didn't know what he was doing but he had things that were just so real and such a raw nerve that like if someone tries to mimic it it's just like it sticks out like a sore thumb and Jimmy's really good at it and Nick was really, really good at it. And so Bruce just assumes that it's Nick doing it and Nick's over there playing rhythm guitar and Nick's just looking at him like, what, like, what are you laughing at me for? And then Bruce is like, here's it going again and can't figure it out and starts clicking all these buttons, can't figure out how to do it. And then he, I don't know if he realized what was happening, but he just, in his masterful performance art way, figured out how to capitalize on this. <laughs> and he takes his guitar off, and Nick stops playing, takes his hands off the guitar, and Bruce takes his guitar off and just puts it on his stool and just starts doing his Bruce, like, conjuring spirits in the crowd 
lost they it. Ate it up. The, they loved it so much, and they just ate every bit of it up. And everyone's just like, "What is he doing?" And then Bruce like comes out. He's like, "How do I?" Leans over to me while I'm playing. He's just like, "How do I? How do I turn it off? I don't know how to turn it off. It won't stop." <laughs> I was like, "Just turn the power off, sir." So he turns the power <laughs> off, and we finish the song, and then he goes to turn the power back on it just starts playing it again and we had to like all right we're gonna take a quick set break and then sit down and figure out how to turn off his loop pedal and he didn't stop talking about it. that for forever uh, it was years of him being like the loop and dothan god <laughs> i thought it was nick <laughs> we've also featured quite a few real in the years interviews on the jam Base podcast where we dig into the evolution of tour travel with an artist one of those that stands out most to me was when Otil Burbridge, who launched season two with his return to the podcast, talked about touring with the Allman Brothers Band and the time Greg Allman chided the group for taking a jam just a bit too far. There was uh, the longest mountain jam yet, and uh, Greg got on a tour bus, and I'm, I had no doubt. Oh was on yeah, tour well, bus. it wasn't the length of it; it was the fact that we went out as shit. Yeah. You know, the three me and Derek and Jimmy had Colonel Bruce in common, right? And Dwayne, you know, Dwayne is the one that got uh, Colonel Bruce's record deal in '69. Right. The, Dwayne and Dickie loved the Colonel, the Grease Band. Yeah. yeah. The colonel scared the crap out of Greg. And to his to Greg's credit, you know, he's not wrong. The man's an ex- extraterrestrial, you know, like he he's he's a scary guy if you're not into it. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's sure. like it's pretty he guessed my birthday within three minutes of when I was born, and he had, he didn't even know my last name. It was before nobody had cell phones and Google and all that just like within three minutes i was like whoa so you know we're playing together and we do this mountain jam and we left the planet we headed straight for beta reticuli or three different consulate whatever you know like Greg would usually go to the back, you know, lounge and okay. do this thing, and we would be up front. And so he comes up front, and he goes, all right, who's the fish fan? <laughs> and I was like, what is he talking about? And then I went, oh, he's talking about us going way out during Mountain Jam. And so I, I spoke, I was like, Greg, I think um, that's coming more from Colonel Bruce and like Sun Ra and that type of He's like, well, wherever it comes from, please don't ever do that again. You know? So Jimmy, who was already feeling like just taking a beating, I felt so bad for him. And I'm like, dude, it's okay. It's okay. He'll get over it. It's not, you know, we won't do it anymore. It's fine. You know, just like, don't let this, 
you know, ruin it for you or feel like, you know, just don't let it be more than it is. Right. It's fine, you know. So we're trying to talk him down, you know. And, and then later on, Greg comes back out and he goes, you know, my brother used to love that kind of stuff. And uh, I never did get it, but, you know, it's you guys' band, too. And if you're really feeling it, you know, it's your band, too. You do your thing. I don't want to. And then he went back in the back lounge, and I was like, see, Jimmy? Yes. It really, it was beautiful to for Greg to show, show us that, you know. That was a really cool thing. And uh, I don't think we did it anymore. <laughs> Maybe, right. You know, we were like, let it slip out a little bit here and there. But we were like, let's not. Let's not make it hell for him, you know. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Long live Colonel Bruce. Stay tuned for season three of the Jam Bass Podcast, which will launch early next month. Listen back to all of our past episodes to hear other musicians talk about the art of the set list, tell tour stories, recall their worst show ever, explore the art of improvisation, revisit their musical mentors, and more. That's it for this episode in season two of the Jam Bass Podcast. Thanks to all of you for listening throughout the season. Thanks also to all of the guests who have been interviewed on the Jam Bass Podcast over the past six years. We couldn't do it without you. We also couldn't do it without Jake Alexander's help in producing our episodes. Thank you, Jake. We'll be back in a few weeks with Season 3 of the Jam Bass Podcast. In the meantime, check out past episodes you might have missed and go see live music. All right. All right. So we each stop our Zooms. Stop.